0: The future of work and the future for workers is changing
1: from new technologies and talent strategies to the management of tomorrow's workforce. Tap in to Manpower Group Talent Solutions' 60
0: years of expertise and join us for the Transform Talent podcast, your guide to talent market trends, new technologies and winning talent solutions.
2: And welcome to the seventh episode of the Transform Talent podcast. This is Roberta Cucchiaro and Dominica Gauza.
1: International Women's Day is celebrated on March 8, but our efforts to promote gender equality and create an equal future for all do not stop in
2: March. And this year, the theme for International Women's Day was Women in Leadership, achieving an equal future in a COVID-19 world. And it celebrated the tremendous efforts by women and girls around the world in shaping a more equal future and recovery from the COVID-19 pandemic, highlighting the gaps that still remain and there are still many. Just to mention a few. Women's
1: employment is 19% more at risk during the pandemic compared to men's. During the first month of the pandemic, the 740 million women who work in the informal economy lost an average of 60%
2: of their income. And we also often hear how women's full and effective participation and leadership in all areas of life drives progress for everyone. Yet women are still underrepresented in public life and decision making. Women
1: are also at the forefront of the battle against COVID-19 as frontline and health sector workers, as scientists, doctors, and caregivers. Yet they get
2: paid 11% less globally than their male counterparts. So while the COVID-19 pandemic has triggered a chain reaction of setbacks for women around the world, It's also provided an opportunity to raise awareness about gender inequality in the labor market and in the workplace. Today's episode is focused on women in leadership and we're joined today by Amy Smyth, who is the head of the European Center of Excellence for Career Management at Right Management, part of Talent Solutions. Amy has a background in psychology and has extensive experience coaching women in leadership. We are really looking forward to hearing from you, Amy, and welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you, Roberta, I'm absolutely delighted to be here.
2: And we are also joined by Brandon Plessy who is the executive vice president at Sampo International. It's a specialty provider of property and casualty insurance and reinsurance. Brendan is highly experienced in the insurance industry, and he's currently a mentor in the Lloyds of London and Right Management Advanced Programme, a very interesting programme driving internal mobility at Lloyds of London. And we'll talk about that later in the podcast as well. So thank you for joining us, Brendan, and welcome.
3: Thank you, Roberta and Dominique. It's an absolute pleasure and a delight to be here today. So thank you very much for
2: having me. Wonderful. So we're going to start the episode with some questions to you, Amy, first. We've heard more and more recently the term she-session. So this is a uh, it's the pronoun she together with the word recession. So she-session. And it's a term that was coined by Nicole Mason. She's the president and chief executive of the Institute for Women's Policy Research. And the term is used to describe a recession that affects women disproportionately. And that's what we have been seeing throughout the the COVID-19 pandemic. So the question to you is, how have women been impacted by this economic and social crisis? And what are the long-term consequences of not responding to these issues?
0: Well, you're absolutely right, Roberta. Unfortunately, what we've seen is a real acceleration of the gender gap through the pandemic. And, and that's been seen all over the world in a number of ways. And what we see is a real disproportionate effect on women as they're experiencing both a larger fall in earnings, which I think Dominique had talked about, and they're losing their jobs in greater numbers than men. And I was reading something just the other day from McKinsey and that female job loss rates were about 1.8 higher, times higher than Male job loss rates globally. So we can see that it's really disproportionately affecting women. And I think there are a number of reasons why that is taking place. I think the first is really about the sectors that COVID 19 has really impacted. And when we look at the sectors like hospitality and retail, you know, those are the areas where women are more likely to be employed. And they're the ones that are hardest hit by both social distancing and have had to kind of completely stop operations in many instances. So many women in those sectors have either had to be let go or are currently on furlough. But it's not just about the sectors, it's also about the type of employment that women are in. And and women tend to be in part-time work. So if we just take the UK as an example, three quarters of the part-time workforce is women. And in the first kind of few months of the pandemic, so cast your mind, back to March last year, we actually saw a 70% decrease in part-time jobs in that first three months. So again, you can see women being disproportionately affected. And I think it's not just women in the jobs they've got or in the sectors they've got but also it's about this kind of unequal share of caregiving responsibilities and unbelievably there are 1.5 billion children out of school worldwide and if any of those listeners on this podcast are like me that are having to juggle a full-time job and to provide education for my children at the same time they will know that that is quite a tough job and not surprisingly that's having an impact on how women think about their employment. And what's really sad is that that translates into about a third of women in the US are now thinking about either leaving the workforce because of these caregiving responsibilities or downshifting their career because of COVID-19. So you can see all of these issues are coming together to really in a kind of storm for women to provide a particularly disproportionate effect on the fee- Female workforce but you asked me about long-term consequences and, and you know and, and the question is you know why, why should we care why why should we do something about this well you know if we're thinking about the long-term health of our economy globally working women in Europe and North America contribute a huge amount between 35 and 45 percent of a country's GDP so if we don't actually address these issues about women's employment, all of us, men and women, will be the poorer for it. I think there's an estimate that uh, the GDP growth globally could be a trillion dollars lower in 2030 if we don't tackle this. So it's something that's really important for all of us in terms of our economic viability as nations to to really address. And, And I think we can remember, Roberta, you know, things weren't great before the pandemic frankly for women in the workplace and this really is an opportunity you know it's an inflection point where organizations can really think about how can we create an environment a flexible way of working not not just for women actually for men as well that allows everybody to kind of manage their work and their home responsibilities but also
1: contribute in a way that is really valuable to organizations. As Roberta mentioned earlier, and to to agree with your point here, women's full and effective participation and leadership in all areas of life is driving progress for everyone, yet women are Mm -hmm. still underrepresented in public life and decision-making. And to Mm -hmm. add more stats to what you just said, women are heads of uh, state or government in only 22 countries. And in May 2020, the number of women running Fortune 500 companies hit a new high uh, in quotation marks uh, 37, (laughs) which is actually only 7% of companies on the 2020 Fortune 500 list. Amy, based on your career and experience, what advice would you give to women and what are the strategies that women could use to assert themselves in their careers? So, Dominica, I think one of the main ways that women can assert themselves in the
0: workplace, actually, and and men, is is to really take charge of their careers. And I I say men and women, but the reality is that women actually are not as good at this as men are. I've done a lot of work with senior women, and I'm always really surprised at the blind spots women have around their careers. So, the first thing I would say is, is really plan your career. So, I found that even women with a really strong orientation towards achievement, that doesn't mean they have a strong orientation towards proactive career management. I remember reading a study which I was absolutely amazed at that in uh, 50% of female CEOs didn't consider being a CEO until someone told them they had it in them. Now, that just gives you an indicator that in many cases, even the most successful women are not driving their own careers. Those decisions are being made by them by somebody else. So my first thing is that for women to be much more deliberate with their planning of their careers... When I work with women, how they often articulate how they plan their careers, They they say things like, I'm going to learn and grow and build my capabilities in a very kind of holistic way. When I work with men, they are very concrete. They say, I will create opportunities to learn X, gain experience in why, and that's going to allow me to get to this position that I really want to set my sights on. And, you know, when I reflect on on it, I think, you know, women are so great at managing processes, projects in the workplace, but yet they don't apply that same logic to themselves when it comes to thinking about their careers. So really, you know, planning the career like you would any other venture, be specific, set targets, Audit your process. And if it isn't working, then change it. I think this, the second thing I would say is, is about courage and risk. And I would really encourage women to be less risk adverse. Career advancement requires courage. And when I work with women who've really reached their career potential, they've often stepped into sort of less desirable roles, ill-defined roles, but roles that give them an opportunity to learn, but also give them visibility. And whenever I'm working with women, I always urge them to think about all the possibilities that are out there. You know, sometimes it's about taking the road less travelled, because that ultimately can lead you to your desired destination much more quickly. And the final thing I would say that I would say to women is, about politics and positioning. Women often say to me they don't want to engage in politics in the workplace. And as a preference, that's absolutely fine. But the reality is that most organisations are political entities. And unfortunately, even the organisations with the best gender policies in the world are always going to be political animals. I think what women really need to focus on is understand how to communicate their success how to package it and give it to the right person to notice because it doesn't matter how brilliant they are if they don't actually communicate what they've done and they don't communicate it to the right people then unfortunately it can't be realized it can't be recognized and individuals won't get the kind of career trajectory that they would like so in summary dominica i would say for women plan your career be brave, communicate your achievements. If no one knows what you do, you know, you really can't expect to be rewarded.
2: Well, Amy, I think that's the best advice I've ever heard in my life. So I'm going to I'm gonna use this. Plan, be brave and communicate. I think this is excellent. So I also have a, a bit of a, a fun question for you. And it comes from personal branding guru, Amelia Sordell, who recently shared a post on LinkedIn saying... I'm a boss, not a girl boss. I'm an entrepreneur, not a female entrepreneur. I'm a business owner, not a woman in business. And the sooner we drop gender from these phrases, the better. And maybe we should start calling people male entrepreneurs and boy bosses to see how stupid it sounds. So you may agree or not, but I think the language we use inside an organization is key. And I just I'm curious to hear what, 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 what's the first thing that comes to your mind, what you think about this? Yeah, well, Roberta, I actually think language is really
0: important, and w- and whether we like it or not, it communicates, you know, our personal assumptions and and social norms, and and I think language in organisations can be really important in maintaining or changing the culture within an organisation. I know I worked with a really male-dominated client, and they would start their typical emails with "gentlemen." even when there was a woman in the team. Now, you know, I don't think the writer was actually trying to be excluding, but the effect it has on the woman that receives that is that she feels like an outsider. So I think all of us need to choose our words judiciously. So, and and it can be very simple things, like instead of saying chairman to say chairperson. And we know that actually it's not just a frivolous thing to change, it has real consequences for gender equality. Because when you look at the research of jobs that are given gender-neutral titles, so even very simple things like replacing air hostess with flight attendant, for instance, it makes it much easier for either gender to really imagine themselves in that role. And that has real consequences for who's actually going to apply for that role. So when organisations apply kind of gender-unbiased language, they are much more likely to achieve to uh, you know, get more applications from women. And, and that's a way that organizations can really start to change occupations from, from being so kind of segregated. So I like you, I agree that language is really important. Uh, and it is something that we should watch and monitor ourselves to make sure that we are using inclusive language that allows everybody to, to come to the party, essentially.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. So, Brendan, over to you. As we all know, women are overrepresented and underrepresented in different sectors. You have extensive experience working in the insurance sector, which, just like with STEM jobs, and STEM meaning science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, is still a male-dominated industry. Based on your experience working in Europe and in Asia, what more can be done to improve gender equality in male-dominated industries, such as insurance sector?
3: I think when we look at the corporate side, yeah, i go, I go so far as to say the tone from the top is critical. I mean, you've got to create the right corporate culture that allows women to progress to executive positions. And that starts at the top. Uh, it requires genuine buy-in from the highest levels of the company. I mean, it's becoming ingrained, actually, at board level. And then through executive committees downwards, uh, Amy touched on to middle management, uh, for example. I also, um, you know, sadly a bit of a cynic. I mean, this doesn't happen overnight, uh, and formal processes need to absolutely be instigated and put in place to, to to make this so. And this, what this will do, which I really like about this stuff, is actually going to really create a massive emphasis on personal development and goal setting. Uh, you tie that in and we're going to talk about mentoring hopefully in a bit, but that's also important and um, you know, working alongside specific metrics that need to be developed for senior leaders related to senior level vacancies and inclusive leadership workshops already go hand in hand neatly. So to your question, I think what we really need to do is start by looking at the root cause of why there aren't actually more women in senior roles. Well A key reason is looking at working patterns associated with motherhood, which we've touched on before, and when women have children, they're much more likely to take on the bulk of childcare and responsibilities and therefore require flexible working arrangements. This could often be through part-time roles. And in fact, analysis by the Institute for Fiscal Studies found that once you are on reduced hours, it is actually very unlikely that you will progress in terms of wages or promotion. You simply get stuck. Other studies have shown that there's a widening pay gap between women with children and women without children. And In fact, in some countries it gets worse. There's even evidence of the opposite for men, with a fatherhood bonus and pay. There are also studies that have found unconscious bias in how mothers are perceived. They are regarded as less competent and committed than non-mothers. Conversely, fathers are perceived as more competent and committed than non-fathers. So it's really hard for mothers to overcome this without them then being perceived as being less warm and likeable which in turn affects promotions. A bit of a vicious circle, if you ask me. So I think, you know, looking at how we can reduce the seniority gaps substantially across the industries, we need to make it easier for part-time or formerly part-time employees to advance. Uh, and there are some solutions here. This could be by making more senior jobs explicitly available part-time. It could be by having more standard flexible working practices. These are advertised, they're encouraged, they're implemented, and then making job shares easier and more attractive too would help. I also think it's important to allow more rapid advancement opportunities for women who work part-time once they come back to full-time work, particularly if they were considered promising or exceptional before going on maternity leave. But I think we also need to cut through this a little bit further and look at some of the behavioural interventions uh, that can help the level playing field on, on areas like negotiation or application for jobs, even systems that promote unconscious bias, including on feedback. I think these interventions are all at heart about reducing subjectivity and ambiguity in the workplace. So if human bias behaviour is driving a gap, then organisational redesign to remove that bias is what will make a difference. It needs to happen. Uh, please note, this is not the same as training. The evidence on the impact of training to remove bias, I feel, is unconvincing. However, there is still a lot we do not know about the specifics of what reduces the seniority gap. This is an ongoing process. Hopefully, that answers your question.
0: And just just to build on what Brendan said there, because I think he said some really interesting things about, you know, how how organisations can impact, and and certainly what we see is that when women come back from maternity leave, as Brendan just mentioned, the, the role of, of the manager shouldn't be underestimated, particularly for junior and middle manager, middle management roles. So, managers play a huge part in influencing women's career choices, particularly after they return from maternity leave. So, making sure that career advice is relevant and what Brendan talks about, you know, making sure that more senior jobs can be done part time is is absolutely right because that opens up the possibility of those kind of roles for women and and it's creating that what I would consider a really uh, strong psychological contract between the manager and the woman. that That's what really makes the difference because it's that unwritten trust-based agreements about how women get their work done and how they perform that really give, people, give women the empowerment, the opportunity and the courage to go for different opportunities and to go for ways that they can really move up the organisation. So I think all of the things that Brenda said are absolutely right. and and management is a key part of making that happen, particularly at middle management and lower levels within the organisation.
2: So as we mentioned earlier, Brendan, you are a mentor in the Lloyds of London and Right Management Advanced Programme, and uh, you're part of the current and fifth cohort. Right Management have been partnering with Lloyds of London for a number of years to support the career growth of female leaders within the insurance market with a historically male-dominated environment, Lloyds of London had recognized that women were experiencing slower career progression or leaving the sector altogether, and therefore wanted to support the developmental needs of female employees across the corporation. And the advanced program provides emerging female leaders with both a sponsor and a mentor, to drive internal mobility facilitate connections and make the most of untapped talent so this is a great opportunity for the female leaders within the company and the industry so i would like to ask you brandon if you could talk a bit more about the program and what results sure. have you seen within the advanced program in lloyd's of london and amy feel free to jump in as well
3: sure no i'll be delighted to and, and actually very thrilled this is the first time i've ever done it so i'm very new to it and uh I'll just give you a sense, really, sort of a macro view of of my findings and then drill down a little bit further. So let's just face facts. The ABI actually says within insurance, we don't actually have a problem attracting women to the insurance industry. Men and women actually enter the the profession at graduate level in equal numbers. But the proportion of women reduces by over 60% when you get to senior levels. That needs to be addressed. The other thing that needs to be addressed, the gender pay gap. Now, the London market is significantly higher than for the UK overall. In fact, only a quarter of the top earners in the London market are female. Now, this is where this programme comes in, because mentoring is actually one thing that can help to address this lack of diversity. As an industry which I've grown up in, informal mentoring has always had a place in this business. But we've started to see far more formal programmes, like the Lloyds Advanced programme, which is designed to improve the pipeline of women within the corporation and the market, the wider market, through a modular-based development programme targeted at women identified as future talent. So what this programme tries to bring together, the three key areas, um, and that we need a bit of time to, to, to focus on, this is mentoring, sponsorship, and networking. Now, by bringing together a community of female leaders from across the corporation and the market, by supporting them through access to experts and role models who are committed to their professional developments and career progression, and who also offer ongoing network opportunities within the corporation and broader market, this will enable them to develop the personal attributes, the capabilities, the networks required to really advance their careers as future senior leaders. And as such, I'm, I'm, I'm very honored to be part of this. There are um, four, four uh, learning modules during advance. Now each one's designed to increase self-awareness and develop strengths in areas commonly found to hold female talent back. So this is unlocking self-limiting beliefs. It's by creating a sense of personal brand and profile. It's about influencing and navigating stakeholders, and ultimately, some of Amy's earlier comments, negotiating for your own success. So, as I said, I'm relatively new to this, but what I have heard from people who have been through it, uh, and having seen it firsthand, everything is very positive, incredibly positive. Elements um, which have been found particularly useful to my mind and to others is, is the opportunity to put themselves first, give them, mentors, give them time to think about their careers. It's the richness of the course and the genuine interaction between the other women enrolled on it and the opportunity to meet other people in the market and have that networking opportunity, be it through the other participants, be it through the mentors and be it through the sponsors. Now, having a sponsor executive at their company, this has actually resulted in opening up different career paths for people that weren't actually previously aware of within their own organisations. I'd also say that the connected structure of the programme that starts the feedback process and as I'm going through it right now, going on through unlocking self-limiting beliefs and how to pass through them. It's about creating a personal brand and communicating to stakeholders and getting the mentee to renegotiate really their objectives. It's, it's critical. I also think the one thing I've seen, a little bit of reflection here, it's, it's about learning about oneself, but mentee and the mental. It makes them bold and more confident. Having that self-awareness certainly helps. In terms of how the mentees change their perceptions and how they can influence the conversation and progress. So having the space of self-reflection that they have been able to take back to work and just really be their true selves in the workplace is at the core of inclusion.
1: Brendan, to make sure our listeners understand, could you tell us what is the difference between mentoring and sponsorship and what are the benefits of having mentors from outside the organization?
3: No, absolutely, would be happy to. So, it can often be misunderstood they're not interchangeable so let's be very clear on this mentoring is generally related to providing advice and guidance around key development areas mentors may act as a sounding board and make women feel more comfortable they do not necessarily actually help them get ahead as the sponsors is more personally involved though that's about the mentee's next career steps so sponsors are typically well-respected individuals have their large networks to help with hiring and career decisions. They're looking to develop talent and help women get promoted. They have open conversations, help address how work gets done and the way performance is measured. Sponsors also create a culture of conscious inclusion and support and consciously advocate for women in the boardroom. But because of this, though, when we think it's it's peculiar, but women actually tend to be overmented and under-sponsored. And so, you know, there's probably some debate in this about whether okay, that mentor should then fall be someone in-house or outsourced. Well, it actually takes well makes a lot of sense to look at a a company's internal resources first. But maybe using an outside mentor can allow mentees a greater sense of freedom and trust in internal resources can. In fact, uh, one study we looked at, you know, when presented with a choice, many employees would choose a mentor from outside their place of business because they didn't have to fear any sort of retaliation or disciplinary action. Should they not like or disagree with their mentor, who would be a coworker and possibly a supervisor or manager in an in-house mentoring program. I think the other thing as well, certainly I've discovered from my own experience, is that outside voice is unique. It can provide a very different perspective. I look at the of thinking, and this this gets challenged by outside perspectives, uh, certainly like those provided by an external mentor, particularly one who maybe works in a far-field industry. This, I think, can help drive creativity and innovation, and this generally arises by applying proven approaches in an entirely new context. Context is certainly switched when advice or an important consideration comes from an accomplished professional who works in a different field, I find
2: and yeah, I really like what you said about trust as well. And it's it's true, it's easier to discuss your challenges that you're currently facing or get advice when uh, you can speak freely. Also to a mentor, for example, like like, like yourself from outside of the organisation. So that, that makes complete sense.
0: What I would say that I think has been really great about the Lloyds of London programme is, is creating this kind of specific sponsorship piece because sponsorship programmes for women tend to be much more important than for men. Because men tend to be very good at creating self appointed sponsors because you know, they tend to be better at engineering these kind of informal situations where they garner support uh, by promoting themselves. You know, talking to that senior person in the canteen or by the coffee machine. They are much better at it than women tend to be. So it's I think Lloyd's London have done a great job by actually appointing sponsors because women are much more comfortable in those situations when it's a much more formal arrangement. And we can't really forget that for for women they often sometimes feel excluded from that kind of informal social structure that works around work for men like going for a drink or playing golf to uh, use a very stereotypical one um, but those kind of things create opportunities for men to network with very senior people in their organisation and unfortunately women sometimes don't have access to that so so when an organisation like Lloyd's really invests in that kind of thing it does make a huge difference
1: for women in terms of how they can um, move up through the organisation organisation. Brendan, Amy, a question to both of you. While early career talent pools are more likely to be diverse, women, especially women of colour, tend to disappear in senior leadership positions. We can see that in a very interesting graph prepared by McKinsey. At the beginning of 2020, there were almost 50% of women in entry level positions, gradually decreasing to 38% as managers. 33 as directors, 29 as VP, and 21 as C-suite. So, why aren't women progressing into executive positions? Is it about lack of training or an unhealthy corporate culture? Is it because of a change of priorities and the challenges faced when returning to work after maternity leave? And if yes, what more can be done to support women? it is really sad actually uh and things are going
0: backwards not forwards i was just reading the latest report on women count 2020 and there are more ceos called peter than women in the top jobs of the FTSE 100 and uh if that isn't a depressing statistic for gender parity i don't know what is but i think in terms of getting women into more executive positions to me the main focus has got to be on getting women the right experience you know we we've got to focus on what organizations value for senior positions and and the reality is that organizations value business financial and strategic acumen and unfortunately even with the very best programs you know a concentration on communication you know confidence that is all great and women absolutely need that but what they also need they need to have the critical skills and experience needed for senior positions so Getting women into roles where they have PL experience is absolutely critical for them in order to go into very senior roles like chief executive officer. And what we see at the moment from the research is that you know women are just not getting the same opportunities as their male contemporaries in these critical roles. So if you want to get women in the very senior parts of the organization you've got to have a healthy pipeline of talent that runs throughout the whole organization and what you can't have is women just concentrated in these kind of pink ghettos of marketing and hr and communications because what you see from the evidence is that it's very tough even for a chro for a you know an hr director to get promoted into a ceo role you know but it's not tough for for a chief financial officer to get promoted into a CEO role. So we've got to have women in those pivotal positions Otherwise, we're not building a pipeline to the most senior roles on the executive board.
2: I also have for you, for you both. Actually, it's uh, it's an age-old question, and it's a difficult question, often controversial, with a difficult answer. And it came to mind when I, I was actually thinking about our very first uh, episode of this uh, podcast. We did it in September last year with our uh, chief talent scientist here at Manpower Group. His name is uh, uh, Thomas Chamorro-Permuzej, and he wrote a book called why do so many incompetent men become leaders and how to fix it and he talks at length about the challenges women face as well in the workplace and you know what what happens inside this organization why like what we, we were talking just now why we don't see so many women in senior positions so the question i have to you is do men and women actually lead differently and who's better and is one of them better than the other should there be one better than the other so i'm just curious to hear what you think about this
0: I think the research shows that m- women do lead differently, but the differences between men and women are often overblown. They're, they're actually quite small when you look at research. But there is some evidence that women have a more kind of, uh, I suppose, a more participative style. And you mentioned this kind of more transformational leadership style. So, so they do tend to have a kind of more, I suppose, democratic approach. And, and some research shows that they have an eye on outcomes, which are more kind of compassionate and ethical. But I, I wouldn't want to overplay that because I think actually the differences are smaller than we than we might believe. I think. The question about who is better is very much depends on the context. It depends on a number of things. But it is an interesting one at the moment, because as a result of COVID-19, I've seen a lot of research out there about leadership, the demand for kind of empathetic leadership, in inverted commas, becoming much more common. And and you would sit, you know, on the surface, that would mean that that's, that's more aiming towards a kind of female, in inverted commas, style leadership and I think the other thing it also depends on who's being led you know we talk about leadership but we often don't talk about the followers and, and followers are important in this context and and when you look at younger generations you know Generation Z downwards they do expect a more inclusive style of leadership they they expect to be consulted and they expect more leadership transparency and in some ways you know a women's leadership is is very suited to that I would say but again I think we can overestimate the differences between men and women and it is to a certain degree about individuals and how they decide to lead and I I would hate to make the argument on this podcast that women you know in a blanket way are better than men because certainly in my experience that hasn't been the case
2: it's about competencies uh, at the end of
0: it, it is and of course it is it is about your ability to be sensitive to what individuals need within that particular moment and there you know and certainly i've had men bosses that have been brilliant at that and i've had female bosses that haven't been very good at that so that's what i say it is about the context individuals are leading within and also what the organisation believes good leadership looks like, and that does differ between organisations and that will suit different people, and to some extent, it's different genders.
3: I don't think there's a simple answer to to who's better at leading, men or women. uh, People, men and women, we're all individuals, we're all very, very different. However, this is probably testing the fact that probably the better part of the last five years I've been mentored by a woman. And there's some traits which I've seen which are really gender-specific. And this has kind of instilled in me my desire to develop my own emotional and cultural intelligence. I mean, you talk about empathetic leadership, Amy. This is emotional intelligence. This is the ability to be aware of, control, express emotions, and to be able to handle relationships with empathy. Uh, I do feel that women tend to be a lot better at this than men. And in fact, I think many men could learn a thing or two in this area, myself included sometimes. Um, I think an employer leader with emotional intelligence is likely to be more successful than someone without it because they're able to explain their thought processes, navigate relationships, and be more liked. I think there are some important elements that come with that, including self-awareness, self-management, social awareness, relationship management, things we've talked about today. Cultural intelligence, again, to, to my travels, uh, it's people's ability to relate and work well in culture-diverse situations. Mm-hmm. that sets them apart. I'd say this is probably a bit more balanced between the genders, but it has equal weight. I think if a leader has cultural intelligence, I think they're more ready to effectively lead and work with culturally diverse people. I really do. Mm-hmm. I also, similarly, cultural intelligence measures an outsider's ability to come into the culture of the workplace and then easily fit in and work well within the team. Uh, package it up together with emotional intelligence, uh, you're on to a winner. So I think also it builds trust between colleagues and management and team.
1: So a last question to you both, knowing that we have a lot of women turning into our podcasts. Based on your experience, and you've already touched upon this topic at the beginning, Amy, what is your advice for promotion and pay negotiation for women in all career stages? Many women might be intimidated by these conversations, but based on what we just talked about, we know that there is a huge pay gap between men and women. So how to initiate those conversations and how to make the right connections within an organization to get what you want. So the first thing I would say is modesty is an overrated virtue. I, I've
0: said this before, but it, it really is naive for any of us, forget men or women, any of us to believe that anyone else is going to be focused on your achievements or indeed communicate them. You know, that that really is up to you. You know, if you don't communicate what you've done, you really can't hope to get rewarded. So the main thing I would say to women is don't be modest and ask you know have the confidence to put yourself out there because if you don't ask you've missed an opportunity really but the other thing i would say is how do you prepare to ask because i think women like to feel prepared for these kind of things and what i find is women are really good at gathering evidence but they don't necessarily always communicate it in the most compelling way so so making sure that you know when you're going into these situations you really articulate what you specifically contributed to success and and i often hear women downplay their achievements they say oh it was nothing or oh it was just part of the job and and i often say don't say that because if you say that then you undermine your argument for having that promotion or having that pay rise so so making sure that you communicate your achievements effectively and also package them around things that matter to that organization. So, organizations tend to focus on things like savings on time, savings on money, contribution to revenue growth. If you communicate your achievements through that lens, then that is much more likely to land effectively with your boss, and it's much more likely for them to be able to fight your corner up through the organization for that promotion or for that pay rise.
2: And Brendan, I'd love to hear your thoughts as well.
3: Well, I think that's the single best piece of advice I can give is, is just don't undervalue yourself. Believe in your worth. Uh, every year I have appraised and feedback conversations with men and women as part of their progress, monitoring and career development, and almost without exception. Uh, the guys will raise a question, where they receive a pay rise? I think almost without exception, women will not. I also think men are going to be more likely to question about and push for promotion. I think what women really need to do is be much more on the front foot in this regard. And if you think you deserve a pay rise or a promotion, ask for it. Open the dialogue rather than wait for someone to offer it to you.
0: I think that's brilliant what Brendan just said, and, it, and it, it's so true. And just there is a cost for not asking. We, I looked at some U, U.S. research, and, and it found that women who didn't negotiate their first salary stand to lose more than five hundred thousand by age sixty. So there is a cost to it. And women who consistently negotiate, they can add up to a million dollars onto their salary through the lifetime of employment. So for all the women out there, you know, there is a cost not asking. Uh, And when you know the value of it, just that bit of discomfort that you might have in that meeting, you know, could really mean something in your career over your lifetime. So I encourage everybody, everyone who's having a career conversation or a salary conversation now ask for a raise <laughs> <laughs> That's best advice
2: ever <laughs> so I, actually it's been a, an amazing conversation really interesting and I think my favourite and uh, my favourite keywords really from this are plan, be brave communicate, forget modesty I, I, I love that Do not undervalue yourself and be compelling. And to sum all of this up is really also be able to create an environment uh, in the workplace, which is open to all and makes everyone feel like they're part of the team equally. So it's been a, a really inspiring conversation. Thank you so much. But before I let you go, I have a very last question. And if you've heard the, uh, the other episodes you know what's coming and I love asking this question to people that have a background in psychology because you guys have the best answers always if you were stranded on a desert island and you could only have three things what would you have with you?
3: Simple, my wife, kids and dog uh,
2: <laughs> Perfect <laughs>
0: um, I would say a radio
2: a library of books and my family oh perfect (laughs) love it Um, so well thank you so much for joining us today on our seventh episode of the Transform Talent podcast we hope you enjoyed it as much as we did and to all our listeners don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast listening app and leave us a review stay tuned and see you at the next episode Bye. Bye 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 bye
3: bye
0: The Transform Talent Podcast, because we know the right talent transforms organizations and helps your business flourish. Talent solutions, business and talent aligned.